NAMIC members can now receive a 15% discount on new customer subscriptions to NASDAQ Board Portal. NASDAQ Board Vantage is a powerful corporate communication platform and online solution that helps companies run their board meetings, organize, share materials with directors, and document board activities in a secure online environment. More than half of Fortune 100 companies trust NASDAQ Board Vantage, a NAMIC national market member, to provide streamlined corporate governance services. To learn what the online portal will allow your company to do, visit www.namic.org slash products slash boardvantage. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Insurance Uncovered. This podcast is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies and is your source for insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering historic flooding in South Florida, why the one in 1,000 year event may not qualify for federal emergency assistance, plus scenario testing our mutual future. An all-new paper from Guy Carpenter evaluates five new and expanded scenarios to understand the effects of current market forces on the mutual insurance industry. But first, NAMIC testified against two bills before the Maine Judiciary Committee, declaring that the bills represent a, quote, radical and reckless departure from current law. LD 549 would allow a cause of action in a medical malpractice case to accrue when the plaintiff discovers the alleged harm, as opposed to the current law that stipulates the claim begins on the date of the injury. NAMIC Regional Vice President Rory Whelan says the bill would significantly change civil justice laws in favor of the plaintiff's bar. Representative of the, of the plaintiff's bar uh, pointed out uh, a good example. He said there were 52 cases in Maine last year, MedBot cases, 5,000 docs. Well, think about it, 52 cases, 5,000 doctors, every hospital, every lab, every nursing home, every component in Maine's healthcare system will require higher medical malpractice coverage and therefore premiums. So the entire ecosystem of healthcare will be paying more and those costs will cascade down to patient costs, healthcare costs, insurance costs. And then lastly, consider this in terms of healthcare costs in Maine. Maine is 45th among all 50 states for mean household income, but yet it is number seven for healthcare costs. This bill will increase healthcare costs Maine can go from seven to six to five to four to one over time. NAMIC also opposed LD 934, which would double the amount for non-monetary damages in wrongful death cases, increase punitive damages by 400%, and extend the statute of limitations from two to three years. In testimony, NAMIC warned this bill would harm Maine's economy increase costs of basic goods and services, and encourage more unnecessary lawsuits. Well, parts of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, remain underwater a week after the area experienced the rainiest day in its history, a one in 1,000 year rainfall event with 25.9 inches coming down in a 24 hour period. During the peak of the deluge, a month's worth of rain fell in just one hour in Broward County. 
Fort Lauderdale's average rainfall for April is 3 inches, and it's been nearly 25 years since the city totaled 20 inches of rain in an entire month. Florida Department of Emergency Management Director Kevin Guthrie says the area will likely not receive financial assistance from FEMA. Right now, this will most likely not be a FEMA reimbursable event. We have to get to $38 million to get to a point where we even qualify to request for a FEMA reimbursable event. That's $38 million for public sector expenditures, not private home expenditures, public sector expenditures. I don't think we're going to be there. From a homeowner standpoint, it probably will not be an individual assistance event. And the reason being is that's a much more complicated algorithm. But right now, we do not have any deaths. We have very few injuries other than the two that the uh, mayor just spoke about. And then we also do not have destroyed homes. And when, by destroyed in a flooding event, that water would have to get up to nearly the roof line for that uh, home to be considered an actually destroyed event. We have a lot of houses. They're at the windowsill level, so we're talking about 40, 48, 50 inches, but we're not at eight-foot ceilings. So, again, I don't expect us to be in an individual assistance major declaration. I reports that 72% of Broward County homeowners have flood insurance, one of the highest national flood insurance program take-up rates in Florida. NAMIC's Congressional Contact Program kicks off this week with members from Texas, Arkansas, and Maryland making their way to Capitol Hill. They'll meet with approximately 30 congressional offices, visiting with several members of the House Financial Services Committee, the chair and ranking member of the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Financial Services and General Government, as well as with the office of Senator Ted Cruz. Now in its 37th year, the CCP is among NAMIC's most powerful advocacy tools, allowing NAMIC members to share with lawmakers the facts on important issues facing the property casualty insurance industry. To find out when your state is visiting Capitol Hill this year, head to our website at NAMIC.org. In 2021, NAMIC partnered with Guy Carpenter on a three-part series designed to measure the exposure of each U.S. property casualty insurance company to a set of predefined operating environments. The first in that series was released in December 2021, and now part two is available, providing prospective risk assessments across a range of realistic scenarios of concern for the industry, including increased hurricane severity, elevated severe convective storm activity, a large-scale cyber event, inflation, and stagflation. On today's Unscripted, NAMIC CEO Neil Aldrich talks with two authors of this paper. Blake Berman and Araya Tuff about how these various scenarios will impact mutual companies. Joining me for today's unscripted interview, we've, we have Araya Tuff and Blake Berman from Guy Carpenter. Uh, they're going to talk about their latest study uh, that we partnered with Guy Carpenter here at NAMIC again to do some scenario testing and stress testing uh, on mutual companies' balance sheets and how they compare to the rest of the industry. And so we're going to talk about the findings of this new study here today and what we've learned about the financial strength of insurers in the membership. So first of all, thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Neil. Araya Tuff, best name in the reinsurance business, um, is going to start off here. So Araya, let's start with you. So let's just talk about why is this important for companies to scenario test their financials? Uh, we start there. Why, why is it important to do? 
Yeah, thanks for having me, Neil. Scenario testing allows us to look around the corner to the unknown, either in a best guess baseline scenario or under unexpected adverse operating environments. Traditional stochastic models still rely on projecting forward different variations of what we have seen in the past, but adding specific scenarios to the model, we are able to expand beyond historical experience. This allows management to plan for a future that is different from the past. Our selected scenarios explore new operating environments insurers may find themselves in that differ from management teams experience thus far. For example, we've been in a low inflation environment for the past 35 plus years. Running an insurance company in a high inflation environment requires a different set of considerations for assets held, pricing and claims handling, et cetera. The inflation scenario can help management realize and quantify the unconsidered vulnerabilities before they present themselves in actual losses and not be caught unaware. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. And the inflation environment is a great example of some big change uh, here that has occurred recently for sure. So, Blake, you know, what's the what's the benefit to this to, to what Guy Carpenter is doing, the sort of whole framework? versus maybe a more simplistic test that a company may do for themselves. Yeah, Neil, well, first I'll say we think any stress testing or scenario testing, as you want to call it, uh, is better than none. So we would encourage companies, whether they're using the framework that that, uh, we provided or whether they're doing something in-house, it's important to be doing these scenario tests regularly on your financials to make sure that you're looking at all the possible um, outcomes that you could be operating in for the near future. Um, We think some of the benefits of our scenarios are that they're integrated into an existing stochastic framework. It's been tested. It's been uh, widely adopted and known throughout the industry. um, And it gives companies sort of the best of both worlds. They get to see a range of possible outcomes and overlay those specific set pieces or realistic disaster um, scenarios, uh, as someone called them, to tackle areas of exposure that are challenging uh, to model in a purely stochastic base simulation uh, framework. Some of the benefits that we've developed, uh, and this is through work across a broader team um, over several years now of this partnership, is we're providing insight on not just the absolute impact of these scenarios on a company's balance sheet, but how they do relative to peers and how they do relative to some external uh, bright lines, such as AMBEST, the car score, which is very important for a lot of mutuals to manage too. When working uh, with these scenarios, users also get to leverage the insights of subject matter experts. So folks uh, within uh, within the fields of natural sciences, uh, financial fields outside of insurance, looking at uh, what's going on in the asset markets today, which is fairly unprecedented in the last few decades. Um, So bringing in that additional insight can help gut check some of the company's management team's own assumption, particularly when you get to areas that are outside their wheelhouse of of kind of the day-to-day uh, PNC insurance operations. Um, and then finally, you know, having a stress scenario applied on top of an existing capital model allows for some easier comparisons of, of the types of what-if situations and decisions that company management uh, could potentially face throughout the year. So as an example, you know, if, you're, uh, if we can see continued stagflation throughout 2023, what's the likelihood that your net cat exposure might breach your tolerance? Um, or what if you're in a we're in a banking crisis environment? How likely is it that your BCAR will fall below a technical minimum that would trigger action from AMBEST? You know, how if this happens, how many of your peers might be in the same boat? You know, these are the types of considerations where having a, a probabilistic model 
and then overlaying deterministic scenarios can really help bring those decisions to the fore. Well, that's great. So I know we I know we uh, have a really good podcast today when we've used the word stochastic twice already. So that's really going to be great. I know uh, for the listeners. But so Blake, let's stay with you. We changed a little bit of some of the scenarios that were looked at this time. So why don't you? I think you just described a couple of the scenarios that, that the study looks at. Uh, what did we, you know, what did we change this time and why did we do it? Yeah, you know, well, uh, each year we scan the the landscape and, and look at the horizon and see what's really going on in the industry and in the broader economy that could affect insurers. Um, so the past couple of years, there's been a lot of awareness around cyber exposure and particularly silent cyber. Um, so uh, in those uh, cases, we've had many discussions with companies and making sure that they are on top of their risk, both intended and non-intended from a cyber perspective. Um, recently, uh, we've seen a marked increase in both the frequency and severity of CAD activities, particularly in the subective, uh, severe convective storm area. Um, and that's had downstream implications on reinsurance costs. Um, so this year, we're really focusing in on uh, that increase in cost of CATs. What if that becomes a new normal? and you know, standard operating uh, expectation for, for carriers, how would they deal with that um, in this current environment that we're in where reinsurance uh, costs may be more, uh, more dear? Uh, as we look to this year, you know, some areas, you know, continued stagflation um, is, is an area of focus as we see inflation remain high. Uh, if we kind of enter a, a, a slower growth economic period, what might that mean for carriers? That, that, that's definitely an area that we're we're highlighting uh, as we as we uh, conduct this year's analysis, and we've seen the introduction of a risk of a potential contagion banking financial crisis. Um, so what, what, what's going on in some of the major banks in the U.S., um, some of the liquidity drying up for smaller regional banks, uh, how that could affect the overall economy and equity investments, uh, as well as lower grade credit. Um, those are all considerations we're taking into account uh, in our scenarios this year. Um, and lastly, yeah, that's really uh, good. The, the banking one is a, obviously on people's minds. So it's a great example of how we try to keep this thing relevant for everybody. Uh, Araya, um, let's look at the results a minute. What, what, what was your biggest surprise for how NAMIC member companies performed in these tests? Well, Neil, we learned a lot. I got to dive into the results for the scenario testing and I definitely encourage your members to go onto the NAMIC website to download the paper because that's where we were able to summarize results for mutuals broken down by size, region, line of business, and there's a ton of information packed in there. One of the biggest surprises was how well NAMIC members did in the two most severe scenarios compared to stock companies. That's inflation and stagflation. In the inflation scenario, for every dollar of surplus stock companies lost compared to the baseline scenario, mutuals only lost 58 cents, which is an incredibly defensive position for mutuals in an uncertain economic environment. The inflation scenario is still represents $38.5 billion of loss for the mutuals, so it's still a scenario worth considering carefully. The stagflation scenario was the most extreme scenario, representing $63 billion of loss for mutuals. However, in this scenario, mutuals still outperformed their stock peers, losing only 73 cents for every dollar of surplus stocks lost compared to the baseline scenario. 
Stagflation continues to be a potential issue for the industry. So for the next round of scenario testing, we are working with our colleagues at Mercer to further explore the impacts to insurers from a prolonged multi-year stagflation environment and ways companies can position their portfolio to hedge against these risks. As Blake mentioned, we're also considering a financial crisis scenario. Funnily, it was chosen before the SVB and Signature Bank events occurred with a concern about a 2008 repeat, looking at a liquidity crisis in the market. So that only seems more relevant now. Other surprises that were that the hurricane scenario really didn't prove a significant source of loss for the majority of companies, resulting in only a $0.6 billion of loss to the industry. And lastly, how statutory accounting can help insulate PNC companies for sudden changes in interest rates as long as they're adequately, as long as they have adequate liquidity. That's interesting. I'm not sure a lot of people would have guessed some of those results in a in a kind of a blind way. Uh, we hear so much about hurricane risk and cat risk, you know, which is real, don't get me wrong, but probably more of a a testament to the strength of the companies. Are there anything, you mentioned stagflation, is that the one that you would identify as maybe the most concerning from the mutual company perspective? So mutual should really keep an eye on the weather scenarios. If you're only looking at how they compare against stocks, that's the one that they really underperform stocks. Keep in mind that the severity of the severe convective storm scenario is really only less than one-tenth of the severity of the inflation scenario. But in the severe convective storm scenario, for every dollar of surplus that the stock company loses, mutuals actually lose $2.67 surplus. So that's the one scenario that mutuals really significantly underperform stocks. It is potential that mutuals in this instance are doing exactly what they're intended to do, protect their policyholders from losses, and they're really taking on that risk. Um, but that is the one scenario that they're most exposed to compared to stocks. Just a lower severity, like lower dollar amount severity. Right, sure. That's interesting for certain. Um, so Blake, you know, what are some actions that companies could take if they do seem to be underperforming their peers as, as they could, as they look at the study and the results, what are some things they could do? And, you know, so I think before uh, taking action, management teams really want to dig into the, the results and see what are the drivers of that underperformance. Um, and they're, as they're comparing against their peer set, there's any number of reasons why their results might differ uh, in, in many of the scenarios we test. You know, it could be just a function of the leverage in their business, um, the mix of either products or uh, end customers and regions they're writing in, um, the pricing of their policies and the rates they've taken in the last few years, um, the allocation of their asset portfolio. Um, and before really making any choices, they need to make a decision among that management team. Are they comfortable with that level of risk? Um, is it within their own internal tolerance levels? Um, next, uh, I would I would advise companies that uh, models are useful, uh, but it, all models uh, you know, have some degree of assumptions baked into them. So before applying any actions, consider if that model is reflecting uh, their own risk profile fully. Um, so we, we, would, we would definitely encourage companies to kind of compare you know, the data that we have uh, you know, on their business and, and from their public filings versus their pro forma risk profile. There, there might be changes that are in progress now that can help with some of those, those deviations that we see. Um, and then lastly, if there's uh, 
if if there are issues around uh, uh, you know relative performance that may be unacceptable, kind of after reviewing those those first two levels, um, look up at in, you're brushing up on your own internal controls and your risk mitigation process. So as you as you get down the road, and if one of these scenarios does tend to play out, are you comfortable that that process in place today is is appropriately specified so that you you have the right plan in place? Or, or do you think there are steps that can be taken now to mitigate that risk? Um, so if it's something that's that's time dependent, uh, maybe it's good to you know announce a prevention is better than a pound of cure. Um, so kind of taking all that into account, uh, these tests are designed to give companies kind of a better idea of where they stand in the market. You know what are the reasons for that, and then what they can do about that. If they feel that that level of risk is unacceptable. Great. So, Araya, we're going to go back to you here at the end. Uh, so, a lot of mutual companies have strong balance sheets, right? Mm -hmm. Been around a long time, lots of surplus. Some of them think, well, that's nice for other people to do this, but we don't really need to do this. Why, why should companies in that position care about this? Yeah. So, even with a strong balance sheet, scenario testing plays an important component part of ERM and general management best practices. For one thing, operating performance is a key driver of rating. A company could be downgraded for poor performance, even if strongly capitalized. Companies don't want to be caught with adverse selection if missing a trend in the market, such as increased sensitivity to cat losses. We want to make sure that they're still trending in the right direction. Paying attention to scenario testing and what could come down the pipeline in the future is a way to stay on top of trends and what other companies are considering. Additionally, corrective actions can take time, so it's good to keep abreast of how a company is comparing against their peers. Scenario testing, not only your own company, but looking at how peers compare to the same scenarios, apples to apples, is a really good way to keep an eye on what, what your neighbors are doing and how your competitiveness mark, matches up in the marketplace. Gotcha. That's very helpful. Well, listen, thank you both for joining us today. Uh, for those listeners, I do, as we mentioned, you can find the report on the on the NAMIC website. Uh, you probably also can get it from Guy Carpenter as well. Uh, we want to thank Guy Carpenter for being a great partner on this project. We are going to have them update some of the findings uh, that we're going to talk about in a, in a panel discussion, I believe, at Management Conference coming up in June later this year. Uh, so those folks that are listening could also get some updates there, and we'll release them as well uh, throughout the year as well. It's a great project for us. We're really happy you guys are partnering with us to do this work. Remember, companies that are not Guy Carpenter clients, you can, you can as part of our arrangement with them, you can reach out to Guy Carpenter, and they will perform the scenario testing for your company and compare it to uh, the results of the of your peer groups there as part of our arrangement, whether you're a client or not. Uh, so that's certainly something that's available to member companies as well. So thanks again to you both for joining us and thanks for the partnership on this project. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. We hope you'll join us again on May 3rd for the next episode, bringing you more insurance news and perspective. Until then, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a wonderful day.